0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10, Joshua chapter 10. We'll be looking at some selected verses from that book of the Bible in just a moment in that chapter uh, on the, the surface, I suppose you could say that last week we took a step away from our Joshua series. But when we remember that Joshua is actually a word that just is another word, a similar word that we find used in the name Jesus, that means our Lord saves or the Lord brings salvation, that those two words are very similar. And we contemplate how Jesus, in His work on the cross and in His resurrection, really was conquering our enemies of sin and death and the evil one. And through His resurrection, taking us into a promised land of eternal life and heaven we we really didn't step too far away at all in our easter time from Joshua where we see Joshua leading God's people taking them into a promised land interceding even today we'll see for them so that the kingdom might come the return back then this week to Joshua and look at this chapter 10, there's a lot going on, but what I want us to focus in on is the effective prayer that Joshua prays, the miraculous work that God does to help His kingdom extend, and again, as we see that, to actually see through Joshua a foreshadowing, a precursor of Christ who prays and intercedes on our behalf, that God's kingdom would be coming in our lives and in the church through His power as He sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us. Stand with me as we read this passage. I'll read it aloud as you read along silently. And we're just going to look at, uh, we're going to start at verse 6. Read through 14, and then I'll tell you where we're going to jump from there. But just a handful of verses here, really. And the enemies of the Gibeonites, their former allies, are coming upon them to attack them. That's the setting. So read along with me as I read aloud. You read along silently, starting in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 10. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down Large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, in the sight of Israel, "Son stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley." Of And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There had been no day like it before or since when the Lord obeyed the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And then jump with me down to verse 29, and I just want to read two verses here to give you a picture of, if you glance at the rest of the chapter, what is a refrain. that basically happens over and over again as the people uh, attack the nations that are before them, as God had called them to do. Verse 29, Then Joshua and all Israel with them passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also with its kings into the hands of Israel, And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. And then jumping to one final verse, verse 42. And Joshua captured all these kings and all their land at one time. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. You may be seated and let's pray again. Oh Father, we pray and ask that you would be with us in our time in Your Word now. That You would direct us, that You would teach us, particularly as we meditate on this reality, Lord Jesus, that You are interceding before us right now. That You would intercede for us to give us understanding who You are of Your work in our lives. Ways that we can grow in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I had the privilege of visiting with a couple as I often get the chance to do who were just having their first child in the hospital and stopping by to visit and to pray with them it's a, and it's an exciting time as a pastor you get to get to pray get to see the family use the extended family during that particular time and the new father i knew somewhat. I didn't know him well, but he had been in a small group with me and so forth, and we'd gotten to know a little bit of one another. He had told me that his father had worked in some sort of trucking business and also had some connection with a professional baseball team, but it had kind of gone out in one ear and out the other. I enjoyed sitting there and visiting with his, his parents, these grandparents, who were there as well. And talking to them, and spoke with them for a moment, and then didn't think much of it, and headed on my way. Well, a month or two later, I was watching on TV, flipping through channels, and I'm not really a big baseball watcher, but I happened to flip on a Houston Astros baseball game, and I saw sitting on the screen uh, George Bush, our president at the time. And they zoomed in on him, as they often do with one of those, you know, celebrities or notable individuals that's on a a sporting event. And he was chatting with the gentleman next to him. And they were having a little conversation as the announcers on the sports broadcast chatted about the whole thing. And I looked and I realized that I recognized the man that the president was talking with. That he had been the fella I had seen in that hospital room at Brookwood Hospital, right here in Birmingham. Now, let me say just to clear the air that I don't think as Christians, probably it's really our place to get all that jazzed up about the power and influence that this world offers. If, if you, like me, have a few people around you that maybe have uh, have had an opportunity to meet who have some means or have some influence you know that they're folks that have deep difficulties just like you and I do, and there's often a lot of pressure and responsibility that comes with those roles. So let me just clear the air with that. But come to find out, the gentleman I've been sitting with and chatting with in that Brookwood Hospital room, his company, their main job was to provide all the trucking and all the transport for a little operation called Walmart. Walmart. And, in fact, he was sitting next and talking to the president of our country because they're good friends, both of them having owned different Texas baseball teams. Well, it's a special thing to be able to be around somebody that has influence or somebody that's one step removed. And I kind of made a mental note. Should I ever need or have somebody who needs a presidential pardon? Hey, there's an in. There's a connection I could probably capitalize on. But what it made me think about for today is the incredible privilege that you and I have. That not through some special connection in this world, but simply through faith and repentance, through turning and surrendering our lives to Christ and receiving His grace That we know somebody personally who doesn't just sit in an influential place or next to an influential person in this world, but sits next to God the Father and always intercedes for us. Is more than happy to do whatever is needed for our benefit and for our blessing. That's what I want us to see today as we look at Joshua, this one who intercedes for, For the people. And yes, there's something in here about God's miraculous working. We're going to talk about that. And yes, there's something we can learn from Joshua about praying. But more than that, we see this pointer to Jesus, the fulfillment of Joshua, who intercedes for us. If you want to follow along in your Worship guide, and even if you don't normally do that, you might want to turn back to it today because we've got some different verses that we're going to jump back and forth through, and you just might want to track along there. It, it may help you. We we get this main idea, really. I hope to see today that, that that since Joshua's effectual prayer foreshadows is a precursor of Christ's effectual prayers for us, we should pray. For Christ's miraculous interceding work. For his powerful working in our lives individually and us as a church family and the church worldwide. And we have the privilege to do that. Well, you know, when we think about praying any time and see Joshua sort of modeling prayer or think about Jesus interceding for us, we're going to look in a minute at some verses on that. You know, prayer is on the one hand, it's a joy for us. A lot of times if we have some burden on our hearts and we can bow before the Lord and we feel that lifted, we feel encouraged. But prayer can be a real struggle, too, for us, can it? And we think about why we need to look at this passage today. I, I, I think about the, the sense that we sometimes have when we're praying that, well, I I'm, I'm, don't really feel like I'm experiencing God at all. I don't really have that much of a sense, any tangible, experiential knowledge of Him being with me, maybe, maybe there's really not anybody up there listening. As in the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, the evil one was tempting the particular man to believe that maybe my prayers are just bouncing off the, that corner right up there. That's as far as they're going. Easy for us to think that way. It's easy for us to think that we don't have that inside track that we don't know a gal at the office whose cousin works over there, who's uh, you know involved in this club with this person that can get us inside, to get the inside track, feel a little bit on the outside of what's going on in heaven and what the Lord is doing. Or maybe it's not a concern about who we know, it's a concern about what we need to say. Are are there some special words that we've got to, to use, you know, and other than... Ending our prayers in the name of Christ because we pray through and in Him. The Bible doesn't really give us a lot of direction, but we might feel like maybe I'm just doing something wrong. I'm saying something wrong. Maybe it's not about what we say, it's about how we do it. Maybe there's a little turn of phrase I have to use. Or I've got to have that voice like the, the preacher does or that missionary I heard one time. The way they pray, that must be it. It's, it's how you say it. Maybe we've got to stand on our head and stick our big toe up in the air. Somehow it will get us some access. Or maybe it's not about that. Maybe our prayers seem uh, not as dramatic as they should be uh, because of the environment we're in. Surely sticking a pillow behind my back and sitting up on my bed in the morning for a few minutes before I head to work or head out to tackle whatever needs the kids have or bowing and putting a pillow on my couch and under my knees and leaning over to pray in my little room in my house. Surely that there's something missing there. There's got to be some smoke. There's got to be some fire, some incense, some candles burning in order for it to really have some kind of impact. So we struggle with prayer, with its effectiveness, with what God's doing in our lives through it. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. If you'll give me a couple of minutes, I want to lead into what we learn about that from our passage I'm looking at the whole context here for a moment of what's happening, because there's some great lessons we can take from that as well. The first thing we see is we see Israelite being called upon to defend Gibeon. If you look in those verses 6 through 10 in our Joshua passage, and you remember from a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, or invite you to go and listen to the, the sermon from a few weeks ago about Joshua chapter 9. You remember that the Gibeonites had come and they had come in this uh, way that sort of shocked us but also was kind of compelling when we looked at it that they deceived the Israelites. The Gibeonites were numbered among the enemies of God's people. They were slotted for God's wrath and judgment was coming upon them. Just like we read about in our chapter today, God was cleaning house across all these tribes, all these nations. And yet the Gibeonites had the intensity of had the uh, focus, had the decisiveness, the shrewdness to find themselves in a way in God's favor by striking up this deal where the Israelites have to protect them. And we saw, of course, there a picture for us that we don't have to use some ruse or some deceit to get into God's favor. We just have the privilege of receiving Christ, what He's done. we want to get out of the way of God's judgment and into the way of His favor and grace, we receive His work. On our behalf. So we see this with the Gibeonites then. And that helps us to understand what's going on in the chapter here. Think about it for a minute. Why are all their former buddies coming after them now? All these nations around them. Well, they're, they're traitors now. They've turned against these other tribes in the nation. And those other tribes have to come. They've got to make an example of them. They can't let anybody get out of line like this. Gibeon was one of the more noteworthy cities. They've lost a huge player in their military equation. And more than that, what if the Gibeonites join in with the Israelites and start fighting? Now these folks that are coming are even more powerful. So we've got to try to take them out early on to remove them from the equation. And it just is a reminder for us, I think, today, that when we align ourselves with Christ, when we realize how merciful... Gracious and how loving he is and we say I receive what you've done and I repent I turn from that old life and I want to walk with you that it, it inherently it has to produce tension it has to produce conflict conflict in us with the old way that we were living or pursuing and conflict with the world around us to the degree that that world is not seeking the Lord couple of passages, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read them uh, for us. John chapter 1, Jesus is coming into the world. This is in the New Testament here, the Gospel of John. Verse 9 says the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds fantastic. Who can argue against that? He was in the world. The world was made through Him, yet the world did not. Know him. He came to his own, to his own people, but they did not receive him. And then Ephesians chapter 6 is a great passage for reminding us again that spiritually this conflict, this disconnection when we come and surrender to Christ continues on. Verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians 6 says this. Finally, And having done so, to stand firm. What's the message? There's a conflict that's created. We turn to Christ, we surrender to Christ by default. We are in the midst of a battle. And and this is tough for us, isn't it? This is oh so tough for us. Because as we live and sit in a world that operates with what we call a relativistic mindset, that there's no absolute truth except, of course, the absolute truth that there's no absolute truth, we don't even realize how much we long to find a soft middle ground that we can land on where we can kind of keep one foot and I feel it as a pastor and keep another foot here. One foot in this world and the old ways that we like to think and it seemed to work for us or those around us, one foot in the new way, the path of the kingdom of God. And this passage just reminds us that there's there's no real way to do it uh, easily because, as the Scriptures say, that when we've come alive to Christ, we're invited to live in this world, but not of it. That's a hard thing to do. When I moved, uh, our family moved in our high school years from Chicago down to uh, Jasper, Alabama, which was entertaining in a variety of ways, we... Uh, we uh, we moved down because my father was working his, his company that he worked for. He, he was transferring over to run the machining shop for a facility located in Cordova, Alabama, right along the river there. And the reason for that was because they were uh, preparing the hull sections for what is currently the whole fleet of Seawolf submarines that the Navy has. And so you can picture, if you will, you know, a banana. How you slice it up to put on your cereal or your banana and peanut butter sandwich, like I like. You know, you slice that up into sections. And, and this is what they were bringing in in, you know, big huge steel pieces. But they would be the size of this room all the way around and probably about as tall. And they'd bring in each one of those sections. And and my dad and the folks that worked there really tried to take their job pretty seriously, because of why? They knew that those sections of steel that they were welding, they were machining and then shipping on down to the river down to mobile that would be pieced together into a hull of a submarine were pretty important. Why? Cuz what does a submarine do? Submarine's whole purpose is to go not just in the water but under the water. And I thought that was a apt picture really for what we're called to as believers in this world. That being a Christian is sort of like being a submarine. You can only do I can only do, you can only do what we're called to do if we are in the water, not just in the water, but under the water, involved in the world and the lives of people around us. But boy, if that water starts to get inside, it messes some things up. You get a lot of water in there, things starts to sink, doesn't it? So there's a tension. There's a conflict that's brought about through us turning and surrendering our lives to the kingdom of God. One other thing, and then we'll talk about prayer for a minute. I read these verses. We're back in Joshua 10 there. I know we're over in Ephesians for a moment there. Back in Joshua 10. I read these verses, verse 29, and you can see, I think, the whole list going through the rest of the chapter of this unbelievable uh, force of the nation of Israel going forward and just wiping out everybody before them and again I'll sorry to reference back to sermons from a few weeks ago but beauty of the internet if you want to kind of catch up on some things download those messages the one on Jericho I think it was that we talked about the fact that man this is a violent book of the Bible Joshua is a violent forceful book of the Bible and we said you know, One of the reasons we realize is that God has specifically given His people direction for this time and this place. It's not some universal, as there was a problem with the Crusades in the Middle Ages and so forth, it's not some universal right for the people of God to go and attack those around them or some sort of imperialism through force. And we also saw that the nations that were before them, they weren't nice guys. They weren't, your, they weren't Mr. Rogers. They were some pretty tough customers. And we also, of course, reminded ourselves that, you know, actually all of us in and of ourselves, in and of our sin, deserve death. That's the truth. That doesn't explain all of what we maybe see in Joshua, but that helps us to understand a little bit. And and so if we can clear that out a little bit here, what I really think is amazing and what we miss if we get too bogged down in all of that is that God's bringing victory to his people. He's bringing victory to them. And we don't receive that in any sort of military or forceful way today, but we receive it in a spiritual way absolutely. Romans chapter 8, if you want to turn there with me, that's in the New Testament right after the book of Acts. Let me just read you this passage. It's just amazing to think about God's power and God's grace in our lives. It says in verse 37 of Romans 8, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the amazing application of this for us today. This victory that he's bringing to Israel carries over into our lives in that God gives us victory over sin, over death, over the evil one. And if we're in him, then we, we have that for us. Let's take a look now at this middle section of our Joshua chapter. And we'll kind of wrap up by taking a look at that for a few moments. We see Joshua offering up this amazing prayer that leads to this miraculous working of God. And as I said earlier, ultimately points forward to Christ interceding for us. So look back with me again at Joshua chapter 10. Let's look starting in verse 11 and just read along with me again as I read to you all. It says actually verse 12 at that time Joshua spoke in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel sun stand still at Gibeon moon in the valley of Ajalon. The sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Well, the first thing that jumps out to me here is that we we see God working a miracle. He does something that's outside of our box. And there's a couple of different ways that folks have tried to look at this whole thing. If you're a geophysicist and you read this passage, you really struggle with the idea that somehow the earth slowed down because that would be, I guess, what would have to happen if if that's how this took place, what we're described. Other folks have looked at it and said, well... Okay, maybe this connects in with the fact that Joshua's traveled all night. He's come up early in the morning. It says the moon's still up, so maybe this is all just an early morning thing. And what it's saying is that kind of the day was held back so that the, the troops, their heat, the heat of the day didn't sap their energy. They had more energy to fight. Other folks have looked at it and maybe concluded somehow there was an eclipse that took place that blocked out, and so you have the moon, I guess, and the sun in the sky and so forth, and that that again provided extra energy for the troops. Uh, I can't exactly sort all that out. We may just need to ask the Lord. But regardless, here's the main point. God did something that was out of the ordinary, that didn't fit with the normal routine of how day and sky and sun work. And He did it for the benefit of His people. He did it for the benefit of His people. And it's just a reminder to me that that what we saw last week with Easter and Jesus rising from the dead, that sort of capital M miracle, that part of what we believe as Christians is that we're not limited to this box. You know, however many hundred years ago they came up with this philosophical movement called the Enlightenment. What an incorrectly named movement. <laughs> The Enlightenment said that the only things we can really believe in are things that we can tangibly prove that we've observed ourselves or that we can replicate, that we can experience touch with our hands. That's not enlightened at all, is it? The Bible says enlightenment is to realize God can do things that are outside the box. And maybe we're here today and we're wrestling with some of those questions. I know for me in my junior high and high school years, in my sort of agnostic uh, stage there, I had trouble swallowing some of those matters until along the way the Lord just kind of broke through and showed me things like uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the earliest verses that someone shared with me and I memorized, that we can trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He'll do what? He'll direct our paths. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that we can see things outside of the normal realm of things. That we can believe God can do things like a work of healing. That we can believe God's doing a lowercase m miracle in each one of our lives. That's what it took for me to come out of living my life for my, myself and read and the selfishness and lust and deceit and gossip and come into a place of realizing the beauty of what Jesus had done and his capital M miracle. There's a big question for us in these verses today, something for us to really wrestle with, that we believe that God works miracles, Do we believe that. Again, do we believe that He's working one out in our midst? If we have put our trust in Him in our own life, that He's doing a work of changing us. If we struggle to believe that, the question is, what is our reasoning for believing that? What is our reasoning for believing that? I don't know if this would apply to other people, but when I didn't want to believe those things, it was because I wanted to live my life for myself. And if I believed in miracles, then I had to believe in God behind the miracles, and I believe in God behind the miracles. and that meant I had to turn to Him, surrender to Him instead of trying to get through life by myself, and as miserable as trying to get through life was by myself was, at some points, it still was seemingly in my control. So there's a challenge here in the miracle that takes place absolutely. Maybe your struggle to believe is in the miracle that you wanted to have happen. In the loved one that you hoped God would save or preserve. Maybe it's in that job opportunity that you really wanted and it didn't seem to come through. Or maybe that relationship you hoped would work out and it didn't. And maybe that's the struggle. And it's hard to remember that above all of that and in all of that, this capital M miracle of what Jesus has done in promising us eternal life it means that even the most difficult and disappointing things of this life are taken care of through His miraculous working. Second thing we see here is that Joshua prays. And there's absolutely some application we can take from this. That Joshua prays what the book of James talks about as a prayer prayer that's righteous and effective the prayer of a righteous man is effective for doing much and we don't have a lot of time to go into that we probably could do a whole sermon from this passage just on that but it raises the question for us as we see joshua notice what he prays for now is this just some kind of big magic trick i'm gonna get the sun to hold up right up there i'm gonna get the moon to stop he even prays the way he prays it he just kind of commands the sun and the moon is that what this is about no we read it just a minute ago verse uh, verse 13 what's the purpose of it the purpose of it was for god's kingdom to extend and it's a reminder for us that that yes we're invited to pray prayers that are engaged with god and as we meet in life groups as we meet in small groups as as someone's leading from up front here on sunday mornings during worship praying that we can engage with that prayer but it's not just about us It's about God doing a work in this world. That's where our prayers should be first and foremost directed. Oh, I've said it before. There's nothing in this prayer of Janice Joplin's, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. It's in about Joshua's little world. This is about the kingdom of God. And God cares about our prayers and our needs. For the things in our lives. But He also wants us to look beyond. And pray for things that are bold. Pray for suns to stand still. And moons to stop. So that His kingdom can go forward. And then the last thing. And this is where to me. This is just a beautiful passage. This is just a beautiful passage. We see Jesus interceding for us. Right now. As we see Joshua interceding so long ago. Do turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and one, uh, actually two more verses we'll look at and then close. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, you may say like me, man, at points all I seem to do when I bow my head in prayer is ramble on in my mind, get distracted, fall asleep, whatever. Whatever. Might happen, it doesn't seem like a whole lot's going on. And sometimes I don't even know what to pray for, or how to begin to pray for myself or for others. Okay? Joshua interceding for the people. Look at what Romans 8 tells us about Jesus, the fulfillment of Joshua interceding for us. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then listen to the rest of this. What is all, what's the end of all that? What's the purpose of it? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Those He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined He also called. Those He called He justified. Those He justified He also glorified. Jesus is interceding and working through our prayers not for some general purpose, but so that He can take us from coming and being chosen and called by Him to Being justified, receiving His grace, and taking us on into glory. And then one last passage that absolutely relates to this. Hebrews chapter 7. I don't think it's listed in your worship guide. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. It's comparing here the Old Testament priesthood and the limitations of that compared to what Jesus does for us. The perfect interceder. The former priests were many, it says in verse 23 of Hebrews 7. In number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. You had to have a new guy each year, because they or every so many years because they died. But he holds his priesthood, Jesus does, permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Why? since he always lives to make intercession for him, for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, for he, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Come in full circle. I don't know if you all have had a chance along the way to meet some influential people in this life, some folks that maybe are one step away from some other person that's got some popularity or some sports ability or some political pull. But you and I will never meet anyone that has the influence, the power, the grace, the love, the readiness to meet our needs and to work in our lives that Jesus does, the one who intercedes, intercedes forever for you and for me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You that You not only call us to pray and to seek You through prayer, but You've put Your Spirit in our lives to be able to enable us to intercede for us. And we thank You that You have sent a perfect mediator, the one Lord Jesus Christ, who because of what we celebrated last week, His death, His perfect sacrifice, His rising up, we know always intercedes for us. What access we have, what privilege we enjoy, what blessing to be able to know Him and through Him to know You, our Heavenly Father. Oh Lord, let us receive this reality In deep places in our lives. Let us seek you in prayer, knowing that you hear, because this one intercedes for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.